Chapter Two of the Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Chapter Two: Intervening History of Colony. It was in the latitude of twenty-seven degrees five minutes north on the nineteenth day of March, sixteen ninety-four and ninety-five, when we spied a sail, our course southeast and by south. We soon perceived it was a large vessel, and that she bore up to us, but could not at first know what to make of her, till, after coming a little nearer, we found she had lost her main topmast, foremast, and bowsprit, and presently she fired a gun as a signal of distress. The weather was pretty good, wind at north-northwest, a fresh gale, and we soon came to speak with her. We found her a ship of Bristol, bound home from Barbados but had been blown out of the road at Barbados a few days before she was ready to sail, by a terrible hurricane, while the captain and chief mate were both gone on shore, so that, besides the terror of the storm, they were in an indifferent case for good mariners to bring the ship home. They had been already nine weeks at sea, and had met with another terrible storm, after the hurricane was over, which had blown them quite out of their knowledge to the westward, and in which they lost their masts. They told us they expected to have seen the Bahama Islands, but were then driven away again to the southeast by a strong gale of wind at north-northwest, the same that blew now, and having no sails to work the ship with but a main course, and a kind of square sail upon a jury foremast, which they had set up, they could not lie near the wind, but were endeavouring to stand away for the Canaries. But that which was worst of all was, that they were almost starved for want of provisions, besides the fatigues they had undergone, their bread and flesh were quite gone, they had not one ounce left in the ship, and had had none for eleven days. The only relief they had was, their water was not all spent, and they had about half a barrel of flour left, they had sugar enough, some saccades or sweetmeats they had at first, but these were all devoured, and they had seven casks of rum. There was a youth and his mother and a maid-servant on board, who were passengers, and thinking the ship was ready to sail, unhappily came on board the evening before the hurricane began, and having no provisions of their own left, they were in a more deplorable condition than the rest, for the seamen being reduced to such an extreme necessity themselves, had no compassion, we may be sure, for the poor passengers, and they were indeed in such a condition that their misery is very hard to describe. I had perhaps not known this part, if my curiosity had not led me, the weather being fair and the wind abated, to go on board the ship. The second mate, who upon this occasion commanded the ship, had been on board our ship, and he told me they had three passengers in the great cabin that were in a deplorable condition. Nay, says he, I believe they are dead, for I have heard nothing of them for above two days, and I was afraid to inquire after them, said he, for I had nothing to relieve them with. We immediately applied ourselves to give them what relief we could spare, and indeed I had so far overruled things with my nephew, that I would have victualled them though we had gone away to Virginia, or any other part of the coast of America, to have supplied ourselves, but there was no necessity for that. But now they were in a new danger, for they were afraid of eating too much, even of that little we gave them. 
the mate or commander brought six men with him in his boat but these poor wretches looked like skeletons and were so weak that they could hardly sit to their oars the mate himself was very ill and half starved for he declared he had reserved nothing from the men and went share and share alike with them in every bit they ate i cautioned him to eat sparingly and set meat before him immediately but he had not eaten three mouthfuls before he began to be sick and out of order so he stopped a while and our surgeon mixed him up something with some broth which he said would be to him both food and physic and after he had taken it he grew better in the meantime i forgot not the men i ordered victuals to be given them and the poor creatures rather devoured than ate it they were so exceedingly hungry that they were in a manner ravenous and had no command of themselves and two of them ate with so much greediness that they were in danger of their lives the next morning the sight of these people's distress was very moving to me and brought to mind what i had a terrible prospect of at my first coming on shore in my island where i had not the least mouthful of food or any prospect of procuring any besides the hourly apprehensions i had of being made the food of other creatures but all the while the mate was thus relating to me the miserable condition of the ship's company i could not put out of my thought the story he had told me of the three poor creatures in the great cabin viz the mother her son and the maid-servant whom he had heard nothing of for two or three days and whom he seemed to confess they had wholly neglected their own extremities being so great by which i understood that they had really given them no food at all and that therefore they must be perished and be all lying dead perhaps on the floor or deck of the cabin as i therefore kept the mate whom we then called captain on board with his men to refresh them so i also forgot not the starving crew that were left on board but ordered my own boat to go on board the ship and with my mate and twelve men to carry them a sack of bread and four or five pieces of beef to boil our surgeon charged the men to cause the meat to be boiled while they stayed and to keep guard in the cook-room to prevent the men taking it to eat raw or taking it out of the pot before it was well boiled and then to give every man but a very little at a time and by this caution he preserved the men who would otherwise have killed themselves with that very food that was given them on purpose to save their lives at the same time i ordered the mate to go into the great cabin and see what condition the poor passengers were in and if they were alive to comfort them and give them what refreshment was proper and the surgeon gave him a large pitcher with some of the prepared broth which he had given the mate that was on board and which he did not question would restore them gradually i was not satisfied with this but as i said above having a great mind to see the scene of misery which i knew the ship itself would present me with in a more lively manner than i could have it by report i took the captain of the ship as we now called him with me and went myself a little after in their boat i found the poor men on board almost in a tumult to get the victuals out of the boiler before it was ready but my mate observed his orders and kept a good guard at the cook-room door and the man he placed there after using all possible persuasion to have patience kept them off by force however he caused some biscuit-cakes to be dipped in the pot and softened with the liquor of the meat which they called brewis 
and gave them every one of them to stay their stomachs, and told them it was for their own safety that he was obliged to give them but little at a time. But it was all in vain, and had I not come on board, and their own commander and officers with me, and with good words, and some threats also of giving them no more, I believe they would have broken into the cook-room by force, and torn the meat out of the furnace, for words are indeed of very small force next to a hungry belly. However, we pacified them, and fed them gradually and cautiously at first, and the next time gave them more, and at last filled their bellies, and the men did well enough. But the misery of the poor passengers in the cabin was of another nature, and far beyond the rest. For, as first the ship's company had so little for themselves, it was but too true that they had at first kept them very low, and at last totally neglected them, so that for six or seven days it might be said they had really no food at all, and for several days before very little. The poor mother, who, as the men reported, was a woman of sense and good breeding, had spared all she could so affectionately for her son, that at last she entirely sank under it. And when the mate of our ship went in, she sat upon the floor on deck, with her back up against the sides, between two chairs, which were lashed fast, and her head sunk between her shoulders like a corpse, though not quite dead. My mate said all he could to revive and encourage her, and with a spoon put some broth into her mouth. She opened her lips, and lifted up one hand, but could not speak. Yet she understood what he said, and made signs to him, intimating that it was too late for her, but pointed to her child, as if she would have said they should take care of him. However, the mate, who was exceedingly moved at the sight, endeavoured to get some of the broth into her mouth, and, as he said, got two or three spoonfuls down, though I question whether he could be sure of it or not, but it was too late, and she died the same night. The youth, who was preserved at the price of his most affectionate mother's life, was not so far gone, yet he lay in a cabin bed, as one stretched out, with hardly any life left in him. He had a piece of an old glove in his mouth, having eaten up the rest of it. However, being young, and having more strength than his mother, the mate got something down his throat, and he began sensibly to revive, though by giving him some time after but two or three spoonfuls extraordinary, he was very sick, and brought it up again. But the next care was the poor maid. She lay all along upon the deck, hard by her mistress, and just like one that had fallen down in a fit of apoplexy, and struggled for life. Her limbs were distorted, one of her hands was clasped round the frame of the chair, and she gripped it so hard that we could not easily make her let it go. Her other arm lay over her head, and her feet lay both together, set fast against the frame of the cabin table. In short, she lay just like one in the agonies of death, and yet she was alive, too. The poor creature was not only starved with hunger, and terrified with the thoughts of death, but, as the men told us afterward, was broken-hearted for her mistress, whom she saw dying for two or three days before, and whom she loved most tenderly. We knew not what to do with this poor girl, for when our surgeon, who was a man of very great knowledge and experience, had, with great application, recovered her as to life, 
he had her upon his hands still for she was little less than distracted for a considerable time after whoever shall read these memorandums must be desired to consider that visits at sea are not like a journey into the country where sometimes people stay a week or a fortnight at a place our business was to relieve this distressed ship's crew but not lie by for them and though they were willing to steer the same course with us for some days yet we could carry no sail to keep pace with a ship that had no masts however as their captain begged of us to help him to set up a main topmast and a kind of a topmast to his jury foremast we did as it were lie by him for three or four days and then having given him five barrels of beef a barrel of pork two hogsheads of biscuit and a proportion of peas flour and what other things we could spare and taking three casks of sugar some rum and some pieces of eight from them for satisfaction we left them taking on board with us at their own earnest request the youth and the maid and all their goods the young lad was about seventeen years of age a pretty well-bred modest and sensible youth greatly dejected with the loss of his mother and also at having lost his father but a few months before at barbados he begged of the surgeon to speak to me to take him out of the ship for he said that the cruel fellows had murdered his mother and indeed so they had that is to say passively for they might have spared a small sustenance to the poor helpless widow though it had been but just enough to keep her alive but hunger knows no friend no relation no justice no right and therefore is remorseless and capable of no compassion the surgeon told him how far we were going and that it would carry him away from all his friends and put him perhaps in as bad circumstances almost as those we found him in that is to say starving in the world he said it mattered not whither he went if he was but delivered from the terrible crew that he was among that the captain by which he meant me for he could know nothing of my nephew had saved his life and he was sure would not hurt him and as for the maid he was sure if she came to herself she would be very thankful for it and let us carry them where we would the surgeon represented the case so affectionately to me that i yielded and we took them both on board with all their goods except eleven hogsheads of sugar which could not be removed or come at and as the youth had a bill of lading for them i made his commander sign a writing obliging himself to go as soon as he came to bristol to one mr rogers a merchant there to whom the youth said he was related and to deliver a letter which i wrote to him and all the goods he had belonging to the deceased widow which i suppose was not done for i could never learn that the ship came to bristol but was as is most probable lost at sea being in so disabled a condition and so far from any land that i am of opinion the first storm she met with afterwards she might founder for she was leaky and had damage in her hold when we met with her i was now in the latitude of nineteen degrees thirty two minutes and had hitherto a tolerable voyage as to weather though at first the winds had been contrary i shall trouble nobody with the little incidents of wind weather currents etc on the rest of our voyage but to shorten my story shall observe that i came to my old habitation the island on the tenth of april sixteen ninety five 
it was with no small difficulty that i found the place for as i came to it and went to it before on the south and east side of the island coming from the brazils so now coming in between the main and the island and having no chart for the coast nor any landmark i did not know it when i saw it or know whether i saw it or not we beat about a great while and went on shore several islands in the mouth of the great river orinoco but none for my purpose only this i learned by my coasting the shore that i was under one great mistake before viz that the continent which i thought i saw from the island i lived in was really no continent but a long island or rather a ridge of islands reaching from one to the other side of the extended mouth of that great river and that the savages who came to my island were not properly those which we call caribbees but islanders and other barbarians of the same kind who inhabited nearer to our side than the rest in short i visited several of these islands to no purpose some i found were inhabited and some were not on one of them i found some spaniards and thought they had lived there but speaking with them found they had a sloop lying in a small creek hard by and came thither to make salt and to catch some pearl mussels if they could but that they belonged to the isle de trinidad which lay farther south in the latitude of ten and eleven degrees thus coasting from one island to another sometimes with the ship sometimes with the frenchman's shallop which we had found a convenient boat and therefore kept her with their very good will at length i came fair on the south side of my island and presently knew the very countenance of the place so i brought the ship safe to an anchor broadside with the little creek where my old habitation was as soon as i saw the place i called for friday and asked him if he knew where he was he looked about a little and presently clapping his hands cried oh yes oh there oh yes oh there pointing to our old habitation and fell dancing and capering like a mad fellow and i had much ado to keep him from jumping into the sea to swim ashore to the place well friday says i do you think we shall find anybody here or no and do you think we shall see your father the fellow stood mute as a stock a good while but when i named his father the poor affectionate creature looked dejected and i could see the tears run down his face very plentifully what is the matter friday are you troubled because you may see your father no no says he shaking his head no see him more no never more see him again why so friday how do you know that oh no oh no says friday he long ago die long ago he much old man well well friday you don't know but shall we see any one else then the fellow it seems had better eyes than i and he points to the hill just above my old house and though we lay half a league off he cries out we see we see yes we see much man there and there and there I looked, but I saw nobody, no, not with a perspective glass, which was, I suppose, because I could not hit the place. For the fellow was right, as I found upon inquiry the next day, and there were five or six men all together, who stood to look at the ship, not knowing what to think of us. As soon as Friday told me he saw people, I caused the English ancient to be spread, and fired three guns, to give them notice we were friends, and in about a quarter of an hour after we perceived a smoke arise from the side of the creek. So I immediately ordered the boat out, taking Friday with me, 
and hanging out a white flag i went directly on shore taking with me the young friar i mentioned to whom i had told the story of my living there and the manner of it and every particular both of myself and those i left there and who was on that account extremely desirous to go with me we had besides about sixteen men well armed if we had found any new guests there which we did not know of but we had no need of weapons as we went on shore upon the tide of flood near high water we rowed directly into the creek and the first man i fixed my eye upon was the spaniard whose life i had saved and whom i knew by his face perfectly well as to his habit i shall describe it afterwards i ordered nobody to go on shore at first but myself but there was no keeping friday in the boat for the affectionate creature had spied his father at a distance a good way off the spaniards where indeed i saw nothing of him and if they had not let him go ashore he would have jumped into the sea he was no sooner on shore but he flew away to his father like an arrow out of a bow it would have made any man shed tears in spite of the firmest resolution to have seen the first transports of this poor fellow's joy when he came to his father how he embraced him kissed him stroked his face took him up in his arms set him down upon a tree and lay down by him then stood and looked at him as any one would look at a strange picture for a quarter of an hour together then lay down on the ground and stroked his legs and kissed them and then got up again and stared at him one would have thought the fellow bewitched but it would have made a dog laugh the next day to see how his passion ran out another way in the morning he walked along the shore with his father several hours always leading him by the hand as if he had been a lady and every now and then he would come to the boat to fetch something or other for him either a lump of sugar a dram a biscuit or something or other that was good in the afternoon his frolics ran another way for then he would set the old man down upon the ground and dance about him and make a thousand antic gestures and all the while he did this he would be talking to him and telling him one story or another of his travels and of what had happened to him abroad to divert him in short if the same filial affection was to be found in christians to their parents in our part of the world one would be tempted to say there would hardly have been any need of the fifth commandment but this is a digression i return to my landing it would be needless to take notice of all the ceremonies and civilities that the spaniards received me with the first spaniard whom as i said i knew very well was he whose life i had saved he came towards the boat attended by one more carrying a flag of truce also and he not only did not know me at first but he had no thoughts no notion of its being me that was come till i spoke to him senor said i in portuguese do you not know me at which he spoke not a word but giving his musket to the man that was with him threw his arms abroad saying something in spanish that i did not perfectly hear came forward and embraced me telling me he was inexcusable not to know that face again that he had once seen as of an angel from heaven sent to save his life he said abundance of very handsome things as a well-bred spaniard always knows how and then beckoning to the person that attended him bade him go and call out his comrades he then asked me if i would walk to my old habitation where he would give me possession of my own house again and where i should see they had made but mean improvements 
I walked along with him, but, alas, I could no more find the place than if I had never been there, for they had planted so many trees, and placed them in such a position, so thick and close to one another, and in ten years' time they were grown so big, that the place was inaccessible, except by such windings and blind ways as they themselves only, who made them, could find. I asked them what put them upon all these fortifications. He told me I would say there was need enough of it when they had given me an account how they had passed their time since their arriving in the island, especially after they had the misfortune to find that I was gone. He told me he could not but have some pleasure in my good fortune, when he heard that I was gone in a good ship, and to my satisfaction, and that he had oftentimes a strong persuasion that one time or other he should see me again, but nothing that ever befell him in his life, he said, was so surprising and afflicting to him at first as the disappointment he was under when he came back to the island and found I was not there. As to the three barbarians, so he called them, that were left behind, and of whom, he said, he had a long story to tell me, the Spaniards all thought themselves much better among the savages, only that their number was so small. And, says he, had they been strong enough, we had been all long ago in purgatory. And with that he crossed himself on the breast. But, sir, says he, I hope you will not be displeased when I shall tell you how, forced by necessity, we were obliged for our own preservation to disarm them and make them our subjects, as they would not be content with being moderately our masters, but would be our murderers. I answered I was afraid of it when I left them there, and nothing troubled me at my parting from the island but that they were not come back that I might have put them in possession of everything first, and left the others in a state of subjection as they deserved. But if they had reduced them to it I was very glad, and should be very far from finding any fault with it, for I knew they were a parcel of refractory, ungoverned villains, and were fit for any manner of mischief. While I was saying this, the man came whom he had sent back, and with him eleven more. In the dress they were in it was impossible to guess what nation they were of, but he made all clear, both to them and to me. First he turned to me, and pointing to them, said, These, sir, are some of the gentlemen who owe their lives to you. And then turning to them, and pointing to me, he let them know who I was, upon which they all came up, one by one, not as if they had been sailors and ordinary fellows and the like, but really as if they had been ambassadors or noblemen, and I a monarch or great conqueror. Their behavior was, to the last degree, obliging and courteous, and yet mixed with a manly, majestic gravity, which very well became them, and in short they had so much more manners than I, that I scarce knew how to receive their civilities, much less how to return them in kind. The history of their coming to and conduct in the island after my going away is so very remarkable, and has so many incidents which the former part of my relation will help to understand, and which will in most of the particulars refer to the account I have already given, that I cannot but commit them, with great delight, to the reading of those that come after me. In order to do this as intelligibly as I can, I must go back to the circumstances in which I left the island, and the persons on it, of whom I am to speak. And first it is necessary to repeat 
that i had sent away friday's father and the spaniard the two whose lives i had rescued from the savages in a large canoe to the main as i then thought it to fetch over the spaniard's companions that he left behind them in order to save them from the like calamity that he had been in and in order to succour them for the present and that if possible we might together find some way for our deliverance afterwards when i sent them away i had no visible appearance of or the least room to hope for my own deliverance any more than i had twenty years before much less had i any foreknowledge of what afterwards happened i mean of an english ship coming on shore there to fetch me off and it could not be but a very great surprise to them when they came back not only to find that i was gone but to find three strangers left on the spot possessed of all that i had left behind me which would otherwise have been their own the first thing however which i inquired into that i might begin where i left off was of their own part and i desired the spaniard would give me a particular account of his voyage back to his countrymen with the boat when i sent him to fetch them over he told me there was little variety in that part for nothing remarkable happened to them on the way having had very calm weather and a smooth sea as for his countrymen it could not be doubted he said but that they were overjoyed to see him it seems he was the principal man among them the captain of the vessel they had been shipwrecked in having been dead some time they were he said the more surprised to see him because they knew that he was fallen into the hands of the savages who they were satisfied would devour him as they did all the rest of their prisoners that when he told them the story of his deliverance and in what manner he was furnished for carrying them away it was like a dream to them and their astonishment he said was somewhat like that of joseph's brethren when he told them who he was and the story of his exaltation in pharaoh's court but when he showed them the arms the powder the ball the provisions that he had brought them for their journey or voyage they were restored to themselves took a just share of the joy of their deliverance, and immediately prepared to come away with him. Their first business was to get canoes, and in this they were obliged not to stick so much upon the honesty of it, but to trespass upon their friendly savages, and to borrow two large canoes, or periaguas, on pretense of going out a-fishing or for pleasure. In these they came away the next morning it seems they wanted no time to get themselves ready for they had neither clothes nor provisions nor anything in the world but what they had on them and a few roots to eat of which they used to make their bread they were in all three weeks absent and in that time unluckily for them i had the occasion offered for my escape as i mentioned in the other part and to get off from the island leaving three of the most impudent hardened ungoverned disagreeable villains behind me that any man could desire to meet with to the poor spaniards great grief and disappointment the only just thing the rogues did was that when the spaniards came ashore they gave my letter to them and gave them provisions and other relief as i had ordered them to do also they gave them the long paper of directions which i had left with them containing the particular methods which i took for managing every part of my life there the way i baked my bread bred up tame goats and planted my corn how i cured my grapes made my pots and in a word everything i did 
all this being written down they gave to the spaniards two of them understood english well enough nor did they refuse to accommodate the spaniards with anything else for they agreed very well for some time they gave them an equal admission into the house or cave and they began to live very sociably and the head spaniard who had seen pretty much of my methods together with friday's father managed all their affairs but as for the englishmen they did nothing but ramble about the island shoot parrots and catch tortoises and when they came home at night the spaniards provided their suppers for them the spaniards would have been satisfied with this had the others but let them alone which however they could not find in their hearts to do long but like the dog in the manger they would not eat themselves neither would they let the others eat the differences nevertheless were at first but trivial and such as are not worth relating but at last it broke out into open war and it began with all the rudeness and insolence that can be imagined without reason without provocation contrary to nature and indeed to common sense and though it is true the first relation of it came from the spaniards themselves whom i may call the accusers yet when i came to examine the fellows they could not deny a word of it but before i come to the particulars of this part i must supply a defect in my former relation and this was i forgot to set down among the rest that just as we were weighing the anchor to set sail there happened a little quarrel on board of our ship which i was once afraid would have turned to a second mutiny nor was it appeased till the captain rousing up his courage and taking us all to his assistance parted them by force and making two of the most refractory fellows prisoners he laid them in irons and as they had been active in the former disorders and let fall some ugly dangerous words the second time he threatened to carry them in irons to england and have them hanged there for mutiny and running away with the ship this it seems though the captain did not intend to do it frightened some other men in the ship and some of them had put it into the head of the rest that the captain only gave them good words for the present till they should come to some english port and that then they should be all put into jail and tried for their lives the mate got intelligence of this and acquainted us with it upon which it was desired that i who still passed for a great man among them should go down with the mate and satisfy the men and tell them that they might be assured if they behaved well the rest of the voyage all they had done for the time past should be pardoned so i went and after passing my honour's word to them they appeared easy and the more so when i caused the two men that were in irons to be released and forgiven but this mutiny had brought us to anchor for that night the wind also falling calm next morning we found that our two men who had been laid in irons had stolen each of them a musket and some other weapons what powder or shot they had we knew not and had taken the ship's pinnace which was not yet hauled up and run away with her to their companions in roguery on shore as soon as we found this i ordered the longboat on shore with twelve men and the mate and away they went to seek the rogues but they could neither find them nor any of the rest for they all fled into the woods when they saw the boat coming on shore the mate was once resolved in justice to their roguery to have destroyed their plantations burned all their household stuff and furniture and left them to shift without it 
but having no orders, he let it all alone, left everything as he found it, and bringing the pinnace way, came on board without them. These two men made their number five, but the other three villains were so much more wicked than they, that after they had been two or three days together, they turned the two newcomers out of doors to shift for themselves, and would have nothing to do with them, nor could they for a good while be persuaded to give them any food. As for the Spaniards, they were not yet come. When the Spaniards came first on shore, the business began to go forward. The Spaniards would have persuaded the three English brutes to have taken in their countrymen again, that, as they said, they might be all one family, but they would not hear of it. So the two poor fellows lived by themselves, and finding nothing but industry and application would make them live comfortably, they pitched their tents on the north shore of the island, but a little more to the west, to be out of danger of the savages, who always landed on the east parts of the island. Here they built them two huts, one to lodge in, and the other to lay up their magazines and stores in, and the Spaniards, having given them some corn for seed, and some of the peas which I had left them, they dug, planted, and enclosed, after the pattern I had set for them all, and began to live pretty well. Their first crop of corn was on the ground, and though it was but a little bit of land which they had dug up at first, having had but a little time, yet it was enough to relieve them, and find them with bread and other eatables, and one of the fellows being the cook's mate of the ship, was very ready at making soup, puddings, and such other preparations as the rice and the milk, and such little flesh as they got furnished him to do. They were going on in this little thriving position when the three unnatural rogues, their own countrymen too, in mere humor and to insult them, came and bullied them, and told them the island was theirs, that the governor, meaning me, had given them the possession of it, and nobody else had any right to it, and that they should build no houses upon their ground unless they would pay rent for them. The two men, thinking they were jesting at first, asked them to come in and sit down, and see what fine houses they were that they had built, and to tell them what rent they demanded, and one of them merrily said if they were the ground landlords, he hoped if they built tenements upon their land, and made improvements, they would, according to the custom of landlords, grant a long lease, and desired they would get a scrivener to draw the writings. One of the three, cursing and raging, told them they should see they were not in jest, and going to a little place at a distance, where the honest men had made a fire to dress their victuals, he takes a firebrand, and claps it to the outside of their hut, and set it on fire. Indeed, it would have been all burned down in a few minutes if one of the two had not run to the fellow, thrust him away, and trod the fire out with his feet, and that not without some difficulty, too. The fellow was in such a rage at the honest man's thrusting him away, that he returned upon him, with a pole he had in his hand, and had not the man avoided the blow very nimbly, and run into the hut, he had ended his days at once. His comrade, seeing the danger they were both in, ran after him, and immediately they came both out with their muskets, and the man that was first struck at with the pole knocked the fellow down that began the quarrel with the stock of his musket, and that before the other two could come to help him. And then, seeing the rest come at them, they stood together, and presenting the other ends of their pieces to them, bade them stand off. 
The others had firearms with them too, but one of the two honest men, bolder than his comrade, and made desperate by his danger, told them if they offered to move hand or foot they were dead men, and boldly commanded them to lay down their arms. They did not indeed lay down their arms, but seeing him so resolute, it brought them to a parley, and they consented to take their wounded man with them and be gone, and indeed it seems the fellow was wounded sufficiently with the blow. However, they were much in the wrong, since they had the advantage, that they did not disarm them effectually, as they might have done, and have gone immediately to the Spaniards, and given them an account how the rogues had treated them, for the three villains studied nothing but revenge, and every day gave them some intimation that they did so. End of chapter 2